I want you to stand, please, and open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four. I'm using the Bible that I started preaching from 56 years ago today. It's weathered, worn, tattered, and ragged. I've worn out a number of Bibles over the years. But every year, once a year, I like to pull this Bible out in August because it reminds me of my start in the ministry. So I'm reading to you from Second Timothy chapter four. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You may be seated. Pastor Gary has preached from this passage and I have preached from this passage, but I've selected it today to mark 56 years of preaching. When I started out in the ministry after God called me, I remember as a child, I felt I would like to be a preacher. And uh, I knew that you couldn't just go to school and learn to be a preacher. But I remember how that as a teenager and then as a senior in high school, that feeling was so overwhelming. I finally decided it had to be resolved. So after graduation, I took time off, walked down a long railroad track out into the woods, knelt down by a wet weather spring under a dogwood tree and determined never to leave there until I knew whether or not I was supposed to be a preacher. That day, God spoke to my heart. And I know that I know that I know God called me to preach. I knew it would be necessary for me to have the assurance because there would be testing times when you'd ask yourself the question, is this really for me? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. <laughs> but sometimes if you're not tough, you may give in. So I didn't ever want to give in to temptation of quitting. So I, I knew that God had called me to preach. And I started out with this Bible today that is ragged and torn and tattered, but it still has sentimental value to me. 56 years of preaching the gospel. The title of my message is Preaching and Praying. The first three and a half years of my ministry involved in preaching in every open door I could find. Homes, living rooms. Um, at the Marine Hospital, they had a chapel once a week, we conducted services there as a youth group from my church. I preached there. I preached in the jails. I preached on the streets, in country churches. And anywhere that people would allow me, I took advantage of the opportunity to preach the gospel. And then after three and a half years of preaching everywhere and attending Bible college at Southwestern Assemblies of God College in Waxahachie, Texas, 
And then my wife and I married and we pioneered a church after traveling for one year in evangelism in Demopolis, Alabama. We stayed there six and a half years in pioneer ministry. It, it was a blessing. We never counted it a sacrifice. We moved to Memphis, Tennessee, where I pastored Rugby Park Assembly of God Church. Five years. During those years in Alabama and in Tennessee, there was a lot of building, church building. I also worked for a general contractor to learn the trade of painting and, and floor finishing and sheetrock finishing. Don't call me. I'm not... I'm not in that business any longer. <laughs> Although I did some of it this past week. I have scars to prove it. There were no deacons around to do it, and so I did it. <laughs> God called us to Jacksonville in 1964. And this fall, we'll celebrate 41 years of ministry here. But we've evaluated and looked over our shoulder and looked back where God has brought us from. And I want to thank God for the privilege of preaching the gospel. I know that God called me to preach. And I know that God called me to Evangel Temple here in Jacksonville. Above other things that a preacher is, he's a shepherd. He must care for the sheep. But the most important thing that we ever do is basically what we're called to do, is to preach, to preach the gospel. A preacher is a minister. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, the apostle Paul said, Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers. Also in verse 9, we are laborers together. In verse 1 of chapter 3, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul understood the ministry of being a servant and being a preacher. In the course of serving, we're expected to do a lot of things. Be proficient at teaching, at preaching, at praying, visiting, counseling, marrying the young or the old. One couple I married were 78 years of age. And uh, their first companions had passed away, and so I married them in my office, and I prayed, Lord, may they have many years of happiness together. The old man interrupted me and he said, I quit referring to people 78 as old men. The gentleman, <laughs> the gentleman stopped me in the middle of my prayer. He said, it'll never happen. We're too old <laughs> to have many years of happiness together. <laughs> anyway, so we're called to be in the marrying business and the burying business to bury the dead, dedicate babies and buildings and cars and homes a minister has to learn to be an architect, a builder, a contractor, a carpenter, a painter. He must know how to borrow money and how to pay it back. He must be an administrator, personnel director, bookkeeper, editor, repair specialist for church vehicles and lawnmowers. He must unstop toilets. Did some of that recently. Repair leaks. Then be able to impress the banker that is a top-notch executive. He must stay up late, get up early, be willing to be awakened at all hours of the night. It's all part of being a preacher. Above all, we're ordained of God to preach the gospel. Paul said, I am ordained a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. A preacher is one who is ordained by God to proclaim, to announce, to say, to yell, to scream, to holler to talk, 
to live and breathe and herald and proclaim the good news, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus was a preacher. Solomon was a preacher. Jesus sent 12 apostles out to preach. Noah preached righteousness. John the Baptist was a preacher, but he lost his head for it. Philip and Paul and Peter were preachers. The truth, though, in our day and time has been compromised, compromised by those who are termed men of the cloth, the clergy, and they don't preach the gospel always. Sometimes they appease the public who have itching ears wanting a special message to accommodate their lifestyle. Cults have taken a grain of truth and produced a half loaf of bread, and they're serving it up in schools and on the streets, in the media, and to the public with a half loaf of bread. God wants us to preach the whole gospel. What is needed today? We need preachers to boldly stand in the pulpit and declare the whole counsel of God without fear and without favor to man and uncompromising. John the Baptist mentioned about laying the ax to the root of the tree. Separate the wheat from the chaff. People don't enjoy sometimes having things pointed out that the gospel proclaims and it conflicts with their lifestyle. But our charge is to preach the word. And that means sound doctrine. We are confronted constantly by challenges. Don't preach doctrine. Let's talk about social issues. Let's learn to talk about getting along and relationships. But in the word of God, I am charged with a divine charge to preach doctrine. Acts chapter two and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Chapter five of Acts and verse 28, they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. First Timothy chapter four and verse six, be a good minister in faith and good doctrine. Same chapter, verse 13, give attention to doctrine. And verse 14, take heed unto the doctrine. And verse 17, the elders that rule well in word and doctrine. In the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul said, be able by sound doctrine to convince the gainsayers. And then in Titus 2 and verse 1, speak things which become sound doctrine. We don't need pablum in the pulpit. We need the meat of God's word. I know that new converts need the milk of the word. I advised a young man who just two weeks ago today gave his heart to the Lord. Get in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read the four gospels and start as a child, learn to walk, learn to crawl and then to walk and then eventually there'll be doctrine, doctrinal issues to study. This Bible is the word of God. That's part of what I must preach, that this is God's word. God's unadulterated word. The Bible is the truth from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. It attracts simple minds and confounds the deepest thinkers. It's so complete that nothing new can be added and nothing can be taken away from it. It's the only book written by Jews and loved by Gentiles. It's the only revelation of the future and life beyond the grave. There are those who talk about things that they do not know of, but this book is the revelation of the future. We must preach 
Not only doctrine, we must preach the cross. God forbid that I should glory in anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is where condemnation of sin is lifted. The cross is where Satan's armor is removed. The cross is where the death of sin is accomplished. The cross is where the serpent's head was bruised. The cross is the door to heaven. The cross is the fountain of salvation, unsealed. The cross is where the shadows of death are turned into day. The cross is where the darkness of eternity is suddenly revealed as a bright hope for the future. We must preach the word of God and nothing but the word of God. John chapter 3 and verse 36 tells us we must preach the wrath of God. God is a God of wrath as well as he is a God of love. And we must preach hell is hot. Eternity is long. And you can't afford to lose your soul. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth in him. Jesus said that. Hell is a place. It's not a wild nightmare. Hell is a place of punishment for sinners. The New Testament has 264 chapters, 27 books, and judgment is mentioned 234 times. Think about it. Life's highway consisting of 27 miles with 234 warnings about destruction ahead. You need to listen to those warning signs. Hell is no joke. People joke about hell, but it's not a joking matter. It's a reality. And when that drama is presented two weeks from today, once again, you will see vivid reminders of the reality of hell. We must preach Jesus. Well, let me back up. We not, must not only preach the wrath of God, we must, must preach the love of God. God is love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we must preach the love of God. But we almost all the time have got to have center in our message, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus, whom God appointed heir of all things. Jesus, by whom he created all things. Jesus, the brightness of God's glory. Jesus, upholding all things by his power. Jesus, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Jesus is your friend. Everyone say, he's my friend. Yes, Jesus is your friend. I had a good friend that I went to Bible college with, Talmadge Butler. He married Marjorie. Talmadge and Marjorie were home from the mission field from Africa. They were itinerating. They were in our church shortly before he took a trip to the Bahama Islands. Earlier in life, he had been a pilot and uh, did missionary aviation all over the islands of the Bahamas. So just before returning to Africa, he flew to the Bahamas for one last visit before going back to Africa. He and Marjorie and their son disappeared from the radar screen. I remember it well. We were at youth camp and hundreds of young people were startled to learn that one of their favorite missionaries had disappeared without a trace. Finally, after days and days, just a wing tip tank with the numbers on it that identified it as a part of the fuselage, 
of Talmadge's plane was discovered. I don't know if they were found or taken by some downdraft suddenly and dashed into the ocean, but they lost their lives. But I remember Talmadge singing in our church when he visited us shortly before his death. For I am persuaded neither life nor death, neither angels nor powers nor things yet to be shall separate us from our Father's love. There's nothing, no nothing can come between. No walls can be builded to fence in the soul. No gathering of darkness can take me away. I'm sure that he loves me. He lives in my heart. Oh, I am persuaded that he is the way. And those words ring in my heart as I remember Talmadge and Marjorie, their little son. Jesus is the way, and we must follow him completely, 100%. We must preach repentance. People don't like it, but we must do it. We must repent. People are looking for a more convenient way. They have itching ears and they want them scratched and they want to hear something that's convenient. The modern rivers of religion offer no hope for cleansing. They're like the rivers of Abana and Farfa in Damascus could not heal Naaman's leprosy. But when he dipped seven times in the river Jordan down in the land of Palestine where Jesus himself would be baptized, he was healed instantly. He went down seven times and came up cleansed of his leprosy. I'm telling you, the rivers of religion today offer no hope for cleansing, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, the river of life is flowing and it will cleanse your soul from the filthy sins of this world and this life. Praise God. Science has come up with gadgets to replace God. Listen to all the TV hucksters of hope offering analgesics, antibiotics, antihistamines for deliverance from ills of this mortal life, all the way from loneliness and fatigue or tired blood. They've got the answer. Some, it's the same old medicine men from Egypt offering something to rub on or swallow down, to heal or at least cover up the spots. I had to cover up the spots where I wounded myself this past week so it wouldn't bother you. <laughs> As I said, you weren't there, so I had to do it in your place. Where were you? <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> a magic potion in a bottle to make you beautiful and to help you get a mate. A hairdo, a spray on, a deodorant, a mouthwash, toothpaste, or chewing gum to give you sex appeal. Americans spend millions of dollars each year on products to calm you down, soothe your nerves, millions of dollars on vitamins to pep you up, and food supplements that will do you good. It all equals salvation by medication or manipulation. And while there may be some temporary changes in overall appearance or lifestyle, you're still you. You need the grace of God. You need to repent of your sins. You need to make peace with God. You need to get saved. <laughs> we need to preach the Pentecostal emphasis. I am not ashamed of the gospel, which includes the baptism of the Holy Ghost with initial evidence of speaking in other tongues as part of the gospel. Jesus commanded the disciples to go to the upper room and stay there, wait until you receive power from on high. 
And he said, you should be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. We must preach the second coming and the rapture of the church. People need to know that this thing's winding up. It's coming down to the end. The midnight hour is approaching. Jesus is coming soon. And we have to preach about heaven and we have to preach about hell. You've got to know that heaven is real and hell is hot and eternity is long. You may not like this, but in order to be a preacher, you have to preach holiness. Hmm. There's a lot of modern interpretations of things today and people are doing a lot of crazy things. I believe in being a teetotaler when it comes to abstaining from intoxicating beverages. I don't believe in drinking any kind of wine or beer or intoxicating substance. You say, oh, preacher, don't you know that Jesus drank? No, I don't. I know that he created some wine out of water. And if you can find any that has his label on it that he created out of water, feel free to help yourself. But all these beer commercials and all these distributors today are not peddling what Jesus made. You need to abstain from strong drink. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereof is not wise. Are you a wise person? Are you a foolish person? You're a foolish person if you think you can get by with an occasional drink. You need to go home and clean out the refrigerator. I might come by your house and need a drink of water. And you'd be ashamed to open the refrigerator. I don't call before I come. You know, a lot of people, I just show up. We need to preach against the lottery and against gambling. Hold on. Hold on. And poker. I read articles in several different magazines, national magazines recently about how addictive the lottery is and how addictive poker is and children, teenagers, and even children younger than the teenage are getting involved in playing poker. And it's on the internet. You don't even have to own a deck of cards. I want to tell you, it's bad news. It needs to be branded as dangerous, poisonous. We don't need Christians playing poker. It's a form of gambling. And it graduates people into an addictive process. Housewives are sitting up after their husbands go to sleep at night and the children are in bed till three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, playing poker on the internet. It's been documented. These polls were taken and published in three national magazines. And it's even broken down now then it's invaded the church. I've even heard that it's invaded Evangel Temple. I hope that's not true. But I suspect that it is. So you just might as well take it. You need to clean out the, the cards, the gambling cards, and quit playing poker, quit buying lottery tickets, quit gambling in any form or fashion. I'm glad I got that off my chest. A preacher must have a vision. He's got to believe in bigger things, greater things, that God is a God of miracles. He can do anything. A vision to reach souls. 
a vision for missions, a vision to enlarge the church. David Youngest Cho, in Seoul career, had a vision of a church of 3,000 people. <laughs> he had five members. His girlfriend at that time laughed at him. His five members laughed at him. Well, later, he changed that vision to 10,000 members. And then his board rebelled. He only had $1,000 in the bank going to build a church for 3,000 people, 10,000 people. The board told him he couldn't do it. If, they, if he did, he would have to do it by himself. And they would leave. They did leave. Later, they came back. God gave him a vision for 30,000. God gave him a vision for 50,000. God gave him a vision for 100,000. And finally, for a million souls. He passed the 700,000 long time ago and today is reaching towards 100,000, what did I say? <laughs> 1 million members. And today, the largest assembly of God church in the world in membership. Now, it was a, he was a laughingstock early because of his vision. I remember in 1995 when I preached from the pulpit across the hall that God had given me a vision of a sanctuary that would seat 3,000 people. I remember that we were talking about giving over $100,000 to world missions. Both goals have been reached and you're seated here today surpassing both of those goals. But God has given me a new vision that every empty place in these pews will be filled and that we will have 3,000 people here, body and soul, all at the same time, worshiping God. Amen. Our vision for missions has to be constantly enlarged as we continue to do greater and greater things in overseas maps trips, in stateside aims trips, and crusades and home missions supporting the army of full-time missionaries. But I want to tell you something. God has given me a vision to teach and preach tithing so that people will be faithful to support this church. There never will be a financial problem. Everyone in this church tithe. We would never have to raise any special funds for anything. Today, I want to announce to you that God has given us a vision and the official board has agreed to give $10,000 to the new home missions work in Lady Lakes, where Ronnie and Kathy Hartley are pastoring, and we couldn't send our MAPS teams there because they've already expended their vacation time overseas. And so we're paying to have the blocks laid on the building in Lady Lakes where Ronnie and Kathy are. At General Council, a challenge was given to us to give $50,000 for a church in Madras, India. And God spoke to my heart. I want you to go home and ask the official board to approve that project. I did, they did. And so soon, we'll be raising $50,000 for a church in Madras, India. It's already running 30,000 people. They want to build a building to seat 55,000 people, which would be the largest Assembly of God church building, not the largest congregation or membership, but the largest church building in the world for Assemblies of God. They had 88,000 people last Easter. The vision of David Mohan is to build 1,000 churches in his province and a church building for 55,000 people. He's going to do it. We're going to help him. And you'll be part of that vision. You know what we need in the Evangel Temple? We need every member to be a tither and to be a missions giver. 
Sometimes people tithe to television preachers or other ministries. I want to ask you a question. When you're in the hospital, is that preacher across the country going to visit you in the hospital? Is he going to bury your baby when it dies or your companion? Is he going to marry your young people when they get ready to get married? Is he going to be there to counsel with you or... Would you call them up by telephone at night and say, I need prayer. I need somebody to come to the hospital. Now there's an emergency. I'm telling you, you are committing a sin if you tithe to a ministry where you're not being fed by the daily provision of the gospel ministry that goes on in a local church. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. I know you don't like it. I know there's some people rebel. I know that you're giving to other sources. Go ahead and give, but don't tithe to other sources. You know, if I'm going to preach the whole gospel, I'm going to preach on tithing. You love me? Amen. Praise God. I am praying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest. For the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. God needs people just like yourself. You may feel like, I've messed up. My record's bad. Shame in my life. God can forgive, and God can heal, and God can restore, and you still are a candidate for God to use in any way that he chooses to use you. You're not disqualified by your past lifestyle. You give your heart to Jesus today and sing, I surrender all and where he leads, I'll follow. And God will take you at your word. If you will follow him, he will lead you into fields of ministry. No matter how many drugs you've taken, no matter how much alcohol you've swallowed down and how many times you've been in jail, God is not through with you. God has not given up on you. And I want to open these altars right now for people just to get up in the balcony and on the lower level and make your way down here to offer yourself to God for him to use you as he sees fit. It's two minutes to 12. You can do that. Get up right now. If you feel that you need to surrender to God's will for your life, it doesn't mean that you'll be a preacher or a missionary or a deacon or a choir leader, but it means that you're going to let God have his way in your life and you want him to reveal his will to you. As a graduating senior in high school, when I got down in earnest with God, he revealed his will to me. Come on, get up and come. Get up and come. You may be a senior citizen. It's not too late. God has a work for you to do. Just find your place in the air. Praise God. If you are not saved, you need to make your way here. Before you walk out of this building, you'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you're a backslider, you need to come home today. You need to come home to God. As our singers are singing softly now, I'm going to open these altars to anybody that wants to come to the front for whatever purpose. Give God a chance to hear.